I mean, they're all dark, like Impact Winter, which is the the sequel to The Faithful. I killed people like left and right that were important to me. And I was like, I'm so sorry. And you're attached to them and you don't want them to die. And yet they have to. It just becomes part of the story. I'm sorry. This is what's going to happen to you. Hey there, everyone, my fellow sophisticated creatives. Welcome to the studio. How's everyone doing? Are we hanging in there? Today, I'm excited to have S.M. Friedman on the podcast. I picked up her novel Sunday evening and began reading it, and I finished it Monday afternoon around 430 I believe that's called not being able to put a book down. (laughs) S.M. Friedman studied at the American Academy of Dramatic Arts in New York and spent years as a private investigator on the not so mean streets of Vancouver before returning to her first love writing. Her debut novel, The Faithful, is an international Amazon bestseller It reached the quarterfinals in the Amazon Breakthrough Novel Award, and it was selected by Suspense Magazine as a best debut of 2015. Shoshana is currently working on the third and final installment in the Faithful series. Her standalone psychological suspense novel, The Day She Died, published by Dundurn Press, is being released April 27th. And I believe you can pre-order it and signed copies are through Book Warehouse. Shoshana is a proud member of the Sisters in Crime, Crime Writers of Canada, the International Thriller Writers and Mystery Writers of America. Shoshana, welcome to the dressing room. Thank you so much for having me, Joanna. It's just absolutely thrilling to be here. Well, when I was researching you, I was on your website and I saw I was down as one of your events and I just thought, oh, I'm getting there. (laughs) You're one of my events. It's not every day that I get to do this kind of thing. It's a lot of fun. Good, good. So Shoshana, I once had a Harlequin editor tell me my romances were too dark. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I, I think it's because I had a character like kind of lose his head. So, okay, fine. <laughs> not your typical romantic material. So I, <laughs> I like dark twisting stories and books. And the day she died is definitely dark. And it's like the more you read the book, the more you're pulled down this dark rabbit hole. And when you were writing it at any time, did you feel that you kind of had to come up and have some air? I think I need to do that no matter what I'm writing. But yes, I love dark stories too. And I think it surprises people who know me in my personal life because I'm a very friendly, bubbly kind of person. And even my husband has read some of my work and then he gives me that like side eye from the other side of the couch like, 
who are you? Who did I marry? So I think that, um, I don't know, for me, I, I find my inspiration from stories for stories from what I fear. And so while I go about my daily life being a fairly normal human being, when I get into my writing, I really, I really go into some very dark areas and I'm really exploring the things that I find frightening. And a lot of that inspiration, I think, comes from my own childhood. Uh, I used to have terrible reoccurring nightmares and they show up in my stories. Like in the day she died, actually, um, the uh, you might recall Eve talks about this nightmare she has of being strapped into a chairlift and going instead of up a mountain, she's going down into hell. Well, that was one of my reoccurring childhood nightmares that I had and Eve ended up with it. Poor thing. <laughs> and I've done that. I, I remember one morning waking up and I had a nightmare of a, cause I love dogs of a dog being hurt. Oh. And my friend calls it a nightmare hangover where, you know, when you wake up and you're just like, oh, and shake it. Yeah. yeah. And I thought, okay, let's use this. Let's put it in the book. So yeah. that was your real. Yeah, nightmare. absolutely. Yeah. I, I have a lot of them that I used to have as a child. I had terrible ones and um, I'm sure at one point or another, they'll, they're all going to end up in my stories somehow. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. Okay. Well, your novel, it hit me in three different ways. Um, it It's very well written. Um, there's a scene with Eve and her mother in a car. And uh, I don't even believe you say it's raining. You may have said it's, it's dark, it's gray. And then you write hearing the, the swoosh of the wipers. And immediately I'm like, it's raining. Right. You know, I'm in there and I've been there in the passenger seat of a car. Right. Absolutely. And um, Eve is an artist. And I'm just like, oh, OK, <laughs> so I consider myself an illustrator. And the thought, I think, even as if you're an artist or an author, the thought of being in an accident, accident and not being able to create art, art or write is absolutely petrifying. It sure is. Yes, oh. absolutely. Yeah. And Eve, the artist, she creates art and she forgets what time of day it is. She forgets if she's eaten lunch. And I have done that. I, it, and I'm sure all the authors out there are like, mm-hmm. Uh-huh. We all do that. Yeah. yeah. Oh, was it four o'clock? I haven't eaten lunch yet. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And having said that, thinking of the reader's experience and your ideal reader, what was your goal when you were writing, thinking about the reader experience besides, I don't want my reader to be able to put this book down? Like, Right. Well, that's always the ultimate <laughs> goal, uh, for sure. And I think... Partly because I write, you know, thriller suspense um, along those lines. Part of it is keeping the intensity of the situation going and flowing fast and furious. Um, but I think more than that, for me, it's somehow finding a way to tap into something that's human, whether it's um, a a relationship or an emotion, or you know, making my characters real 
people with real feelings and real things that are going on for them. Um, and I feel like the more I can do that, the more a reader is going to get hooked in and remember and be able to tap into something inside themselves. So that's my ultimate goal is to be real and, and human. Because And how else do you connect with readers? You right. make it human. Yeah. 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 And it doesn't really matter what genre you're writing. If you, if you can't make the, your characters real people to the people who are reading them, which of course means you have to make them real people to you first, um, then what's the point of reading the story? Yeah. Yeah. Very good. Yeah. So I haven't read The Faithful or Impact Winter. Mm -hmm. And I was wondering if they are just as dark and can you give our listeners an idea of what those two books are about before we get into The Day She Died? Yeah, absolutely. They are dark, um, but in a kind of a different way. Um, they're a bit more along the lines of a thriller story um, as opposed to psychological suspense, which is more The Day She Died. Um, so they are a part of a series. Um, the Faithful is the first one in the series. It's published by Thomas and Mercer. And um, it tells the story of a woman who is haunted by a childhood that she's basically been brainwashed to forget. And um, when her memories of this childhood at an isolated mountain ranch start to come back to her, they converge with this um, decades long FBI investigation that's been going on and it's investigating the kidnapping of psych children all over um, the U S and uh, it, it basically, it converges with that and it, it leads to her realizing that there's this deadly plot to reshape humanity and she'll need to decipher what's going on and expose the truth before it's too late. So that's the faithful. And then impact winter is the second one in that series. And as you already mentioned, there is a third and final um, installment in the series that I'm working on, but very, very slowly because I keep be being like a squirrel and finding different stories I have to tell too. So. Okay. Okay. So how about you give our listeners a brief idea of what the day she died is about? Okay. Yeah. The day she died, um, Dundurn Press is publishing it April 27th, as you already mentioned. Um, it's been compared to the silent patient, um, Elizabeth is missing the film Memento. Uh, it's set in Vancouver and it tells the story of Eve Gold, who's this woman whose life completely derails after a traumatic head injury. Um, and when memories surface of this deeply troubled childhood that she had, where her innocence was stolen, one lie and one suspicious death at a time, she'll start to question everything. And then eventually she's going to have to choose whether to cling to the lies that helped her to survive her childhood or whether she's going to unearth the secrets that she buried a long time ago. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So <laughs> let's get into this. And oh, as everyone guessed, Ozzy is in the studio. <laughs> He's being a bit of a troublemaker. <laughs> Just one second, okay? All right. All the dog toys are back where they're supposed to be. And we will continue with this podcast. Okay. So, Shoshana, what was 
the what if moment that kickstarted your imagination, uh, just that idea that started with that got you writing the day she died. I'm I'm wondering what that spark is or was, um, because like you said, you stepped away from the series to write the standalone. And I I was curious, like what was just so overcoming that you thought I have to write this book? Yeah, um, that's a great question. So uh, I mentioned the chairlift nightmare. Um, I was actually a few years back, I was, instead of sleeping, I was thinking about that. I was remembering that nightmare and some others that I'd had and realizing that they all had to do with this fear of um, death and, and this fear of like, what will happen to me and what will, you know, yeah, like just that big unknown. And it really hit me in that moment. Um, this, this overwhelming feeling of, you know, impending doom for myself, you know, that we, we go through our lives in general, we go to the grocery store, we do our errands, we live our lives without um, really having a focus on the fact that we're not going to be here forever. And every once in a while, for me, anyway, it hits me with like deep reality, I am not going to be here forever. And I started to think about, well, what would happen to me if I got to the end of my life? And instead of this um, kind of relatively mundane existence that I've had, what if I was just completely racked with guilt for all the things that I'd done? What if I had uh, horrible things that had happened to me, horrible things that I'd done as well? And I had to, you know, to survive my life, I'd had to put a blocker there and almost ignore that those things had happened just so I could go on day to day. What would happen to me if I got to the end of my life with that much guilt? And that's kind of where Eve grew from. So I gave her a lot of problems and uh, and put her in that situation. That is cool, having read the book. Yeah. <laughs> oh, wow. Okay. Now, have you noticed a difference in you, the author, as you move from book to book? For instance, you were mentioning about exploring kind of like the a darker side. And I've noticed with my second book, I've become more violent or throwing more violence at my heroine. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's it was it's interesting, I find with writing, I was writing this scene, and I knew it was going into a dark place. And have you like sitting there and think, and I had said to my like it's like one part of my brain is saying, "Are you going down this route? You know? Yeah. And then the other part's like, yes, you are, you know, and it's almost like, hold on, because here we go. Like, like, okay, so with you, right? Have you noticed a difference as you're writing your books that you're, you're going almost like deeper into a darker area? Um, I have, and and yet, I mean, they're all dark, like Impact Winter, which is the, the sequel to The Faithful. I killed people. Like left and right that were important to me. And I was like, I'm so sorry. And you're attached to them and you don't want them to die. And yet they have to, it just becomes part of the story. I'm sorry, this is what's going to happen to you. And um, so that I, I almost felt overwhelmed by after a while. And I pulled back a little bit from it. Um, one of the things that I really notice as I continue to write more books 
is how much more precise I become. I've become a lot more um, really careful about my words and my imagery, just finding the exact right way of saying something that I want to say. And I've also found that I've actually become more of a plotter than I was in the beginning. So the faithful was just like a rambling mess when I got through the first draft. It was like 140,000 words. I didn't plot it. I had no idea what I was doing most of the time. And so, and I came out of it like, you know, like I'd just been to war and, uh, and it needed so much work to make it, you know, the story that it became, it needed so much work. And so as I've gone, I've found, I become more and more of a plotter. And that's not to say I plot the whole thing because I still am very loose in my plotting, but I have a much stronger idea of where the story's going, what the arc is, what the goals for the characters are and what the, you know, what's going to stand in their way. I have a lot stronger um, idea of that going in. And all that really means is that I get to the end of the story. And although I still have many more drafts to, you know, rewrite and work, I don't have to completely pull it apart and rewrite it. Okay. Okay. Yeah. I like that word loosely plot. Yeah. Because sometimes I think of myself more as a, Pantser, yeah, but I do know at some point I have to stop because I'm thinking, okay, what is going on in your book? You know, and I have to go, it's almost like I have to do it a little bit about halfway through yeah. writing, and I have to just look at each chapter and I have to see how it's like on a map where it's going. Exactly. Yeah. And at least if you've got like an idea of where the end is, for me, it keeps me kind of going in a direction. And I usually have no idea exactly how I'm getting there and things change along the way. I mean, I wrote, I wrote one book actually, that's, um, it's called Blood Atonement, at least at the moment. And it's sitting on editor's desks right now. So hopefully at some point, somebody will say, I want to publish this. Yeah. But I I wrote about three quarters of it thinking that one person was the guilty party in it and realized at that three quarter mark, oh no, it's not you, it's you. And, I had, you know, so I love those surprises, but if I don't have a, at least a general idea of where I'm going, I'm not going anywhere. <laughs> okay. I, I agree. <laughs> yeah. So thinking of your book. So as I'm reading it, you have the accident that Eve is in. Yeah. And then there's a part of me that says, it's none of your darn business, Joe, if Shoshana <laughs> has been in a car accident like this, because it's quite the accident. So instead, what I want to know is, how did you research the injuries Eve suffers from the accident? So no, I haven't been in an accident that severe. I've certainly been in uh, some car accidents, um, but I've been very fortunate to escape them pretty much unscathed. Uh, so yes, I did do a lot of research for um, regard in regards to traumatic brain injuries, um, in regard to the psychological things that Eve experiences in her life, because she does end up in, um, you know, a, a psychiatric facility several times in her life. So I had to do a lot of research on that aspect of things and what would have happened to her. Um, and uh, more than that, though, actually, the thing I spent the most time researching was near-death experiences. 
because that's really what Eve experiences is that she has this accident where she, she dies for several minutes and is brought back and, and everything is, and I, I, you know, I, in my mind, it was like, what did she see? What did she experience in that time when she wasn't living, you know? And uh, so that was, that was really where I focused my, my research is what happens to people when they die and they come back? That's the question. I think everybody wonders. Right. right? Yeah. yeah. How, the accident scene, how you write it. I didn't find it gore, gory. I I'm not a big fan of writing gory. I tend to find ways of getting, I mean, gory things happen to my characters, but I have to find poetic ways of saying them because I can't, I'm not a thriller writer who wants to write all the blood and guts of things. It it was authentic. And the Siri, the seriousness of what she experiences with that accident, the authenticity, like I said, I was reading it and I thought, Tell me Shoshana hasn't hasn't been in there because oh right. <laughs> yeah. No, thankfully not. <laughs> good, good, good. So having read The Day She Died and having read the summaries, I haven't read the full books of The Faithful and Impact Winter. I read the summaries. I was wondering why the interest in children and their experiences and their upbringings or years in school? Um, is it because events that happen to us as children influence and shape our adult lives? I, I just kind of notice every, like each one, I thought, okay, children, okay, children, things that happened in the past. So I was wondering why you like, why you tapped into that? Yeah, I think that's a great question. I think I am really fascinated by childhood and how technicolor it is, Um, how uh, things that happen to people in their childhoods, whether they're good or bad, um, really are the imprint for who they become as adults. And that, you know, there's so many people who have these tragedies and, and horrific things that happen to them in their in their childhood, in their formative years. And I'm so fascinated with how people um, become who they are because of that or uh, how they have to work to overcome it. The things that happen to kids that aren't even, um, you know, are nothing that they could have done anything about their complete innocence in this in this life at that point in their lives and what, and what happens to them and what that, how that affects them going forward. I think that's a huge thing that I'm very interested in the psychology of that. And, and I I remember at crown council, the prosecutor's office, those were the worst files involving like you, just how you said innocent children and that innocence has been robbed from them. Absolutely. Yeah. And they become adults who then have to make their own choices and have to somehow overcome the things that were done to them. And sometimes they do and sometimes they don't. And I find those things very, very fascinating and very human. Yeah. Okay. Okay. In your book, you are educating readers about Judaism. Yes. Happy Passover. And it's woven so well. You weave it in with your characters so well. And I looked up what, and I know I'm I'm probably going to pronounce this wrong. That's okay. Shabos? Uh, Shabos. We Shabos. Say Shabos. 
Yeah. Okay. I Although looked up. I mean, everybody has different accents. So yes. Okay. Yeah. So I looked up what Shabbos, Shabbos means. And yeah. I believe that's the, in my, my little online definition, it said it was the Yiddish term for the Jewish Sabbath. That's right. Okay. Yes. The Sabbath is on Saturdays um, in Judaism. Okay. And so it begins at um, sundown on Friday night and goes till after sundown on Saturday. Um, so that is the Jewish Sabbath. And depending on your level of uh, uh, observance, um, a lot of uh, more religious uh, Jewish people will not drive, they will not cook, they will not turn lights on and off. Um, nothing that um, symbolizes work in any way will be done in that time period. So okay. but there's a lot of different variations on that as well. So yeah. Okay. And I enjoyed reading about the Jewish faith because I know very little. And I also, as part of my reader experience, I may be reading fiction, but if I can also learn something, mm-hmm. it's almost like, a, hey, yes, I, I like this, right? Because right. I like learning. Um, I was raised Catholic. Someone explained to me there's a difference even between Roman Catholic and Catholic. Right. And I think, and my sisters will correct me, I think it was Roman Catholic, which is even um, more strict, okay? So given how individuals in power can take information and misrepresent that information, I think it's important to have full representation. Absolutely. Yeah. And what, and what, uh, I can't think of a better vehicle than through a book. I was wondering what your thoughts were on that. Um, Because there's, when you write a book, there's so many things you're trying to keep track of. So did educating the reader come into play at some point? Um, I don't think it did with this one. Although I will say that I'm writing another um, book right now. Um, that has a a much larger play in Jewish mysticism. And I'm learning a lot as I, as I go through that, because there's a lot, I just had no idea about myself. And it's all very frightening. Speaking of, you know, the Catholicism with exorcisms and scary things that happen. Judaism is exactly that scary. It's got all of that stuff, but in a different way. And it's really interesting to find kind of learn the differences. Um, But uh, I, I completely agree with you. I really think that representation is incredibly important. Um, I think it's so important that people from different races, different religions have a platform on which to tell their stories and stories are such a, a key way to be able to, tap into people from different cultures and different religions. And it's, I think the publishing industry is starting to move in that direction. And I'm really, really thrilled to see that. Um, I think it's been a long time coming. And um, for example, Dundurn Press, who is um, the publisher for The Day She Died, they are incredible. They have completely rebranded just in this past several months. And they are much more focused now on that diversity, on publishing um, voices that maybe were underrepresented before, um, and of leading the way in in that in, in in the publishing industry. They're really being leaders of that, and I'm so 
um, I'm so astounded by that and so proud to to be with them and to see this at this moment happening. It's it's time and it yeah. really needs to happen. Yeah. Yeah. And it's interesting how when you on TV or with the books you're reading, you start realizing that there has been a huge like I don't want to say under under representation. Yeah. Huge under, yeah. Underrepresentation and misrepresentation. Yes. You cannot have white people telling stories for people of other races or religions and have them get it right. Yeah. That's you know? right. And yeah. it, it's unfortunate um, that that's been happening for so long. And I'm so glad to see um, a change in that tide. Yeah. I agree. I agree. All right. So with your book, Eve's grandmother, Button. Yes. Oh, oh, on page 186. Yeah. She says words which are not English. And then she immediately says after, because she's, you know, she's trying to explain it to Eve. And she says, the the pig you give a chair to, and next he wants a seat at a table. Yes. <laughs> I so enjoyed that. And I so enjoyed her dialogue because it reminded me of my Hungarian mother. Mm. And, you know, she would fire off a Hungarian phrase and my sisters and I would say to her, what does that mean? And so then she'd say, okay, it means if you took your wheelbarrow of troubles and you took it to the fence and you met your neighbor with his wheelbarrow of troubles, you would turn around with your own wheelbarrow of troubles and come back to your home. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> you tell that to a 12 year old and 12 year old thinking what does that have to do with my issue <laughs> later as an adult it's basically you know she was in her translation she was trying to say you think your troubles are so bad right totally. go take a look at your neighbors yeah Absolutely. yeah so um that's why I, what I loved about button okay um, and I was wondering if there was any one person who was the inspiration behind Button. I don't think there's any one person. I think Button is kind of an amalgamation of many women um, who've inspired me over time. Um, Button has lived a hard life. She grew up in the Warsaw ghetto. She is a survivor and um, she has so much wisdom in her. And yes, it usually comes out in Yiddish phrases um, that she then has to kind of explain or that Eve's heard so many times she knows exactly what it means. Um, But Button, I think, is really um, an homage almost to so many uh, Jewish women that I know or that I've met in my community over the years, you see so much kindness, so much wisdom, um, so much pain um, because they're coming from hard lives and hard backgrounds. Um, and I think I, I just kind of took a whole bunch of them and blended them into this one person. That's excellent. Oh, she's she is such a great character. Just I'm thinking about the book. And I think, and is needed, so needed in the book, thinking of the characters and what takes place. Yeah, yeah. yeah. she is She is Eve's confidant and Eve's advocate. Um, she is the, the one person in Eve's life who is just completely devoted to Eve and won't ever see 
the bad stuff that Eve does or thinks yeah. because she just loves her so much. Yeah. And, um, you know, Eve, Eve kind of needs that. We all need that person in our lives. I was just going to say Eve needs that. She needed yeah. just someone like, yeah, needs someone like that. Yeah. So is there any particular passage you would like to read from the book? Yes. You know, I've been reading the, the first chapter quite a bit here and there, and I, I'm getting a little tired of doing that one. So I was wondering if I could skip ahead and actually read from some of chapter three. Whatever you like. Okay. <laughs> so this is, uh, so beginning of chapter three, and Eve's had her accident, and this is, um, she's waking up in the hospital. Um, Eve, can you hear me? The man's voice warbled somewhere, warbled somewhere in the distance, and she moved toward it. For either hours or decades, she'd been lost in a field of quicksilver plants, just like the ones she'd avoided for most of her childhood. It was foggy, icy water dripping onto her head and the back of her neck. It hurt her lungs to breathe and made it impossible to see more than a few feet ahead. A woman walked nearby, calling out to her from time to time, trying to get her attention. Eve wanted nothing to do with her. All she wanted was to find a way out. As she moved, silver leaves left slug trails across her skin. Branches loomed out of the fog to snag her clothing. She yanked herself free and kept going, not caring if her clothes tore. If she continued downhill, she should come out near the pond. Eve, squeeze my hand if you can hear me. His voice was a soft rumble, which brought to mind the St. Bernard in those cold medicine commercials, the one who braved snowy nights just to help someone battle the sniffles. At the sound of his voice, tendrils of fog drifted up toward the sky. Err, don't try to speak, your jaw is wired shut. The world around her came to life like those slick moments just before dawn. Do you know where you are? Squeeze my hand once for yes and twice for no. Did she have hands? She felt like her body was a balloon. It swelled with panic and the fragile shell bulged with explosive threat. What would happen if the pressure mounted? Would she burst right out of existence? Ouch, no need to break my hand. He chuckled and she felt a pinprick of relief. If she'd hurt him, she must still be real. You're in the ICU at St. Vincent's, he continued. You've been in a medically induced coma for almost three weeks. His voice was familiar. It was like the kiss of cool water on sunburned skin and mud between her toes. It was the taste of strawberry milkshakes and tears. Don't try to move. You've still got casts on, well, just about everything. Do you remember the accident? Accident? Eve remembered the smell of bitter coffee and coconut cake. And was there something about a man in a fedora? That's okay. Some things are worth forgetting. There was a storm and this guy was driving while on drugs. But what's important is you survived. It was touch and go there for a while. They're doing everything they can to put you back together. A chair squeaked and she sensed he'd moved closer. I'm doing everything I can too. We're going to get through this. His voice, recognition seared her skin, awakening her from fingertips to heart and spreading like brush fire down her broken body. It also awoke the pain which ripped down the fault lines of her mending bones. For the moment, it didn't matter. She knew the man behind that voice, could taste his name on her tongue, could feel the thrill it had given her to let it escape her lips. So quick and breathless, the syllables blurred together. 
Lee Adler, after all this time. He must have felt her jolt of recognition, for he squeezed her fingers in acknowledgement. Her hand still felt so small within his grip. She could picture him standing before her, not as he must have looked now, but as she'd known him years ago, before what happened to the man in the forest fused them together, before Sarah's death tore them apart. You remember, he said. Instead of squeezing his hand, she opened her eyes. Yeah. <laughs> uh, oh, yeah. There, you have so many uh, scenes, and I just, as you were reading, I, I wrote down quicksilver plants. Yeah. And was, you mentioned that a, a few times. Yes. There's so much that's um, a joy. Um, for the reader experience when with reading your book. And sometimes I pick up on something that may be minor. It's not, it, you know, it, and one of the things that picked up from, I picked up was quicksilver plants. Yeah. And it's because I remember when we used to go to Maui, there were these plants, they were like silver sword and they, they were silver and they were like a sword. And so I was wondering how the quicksilver plants, how do they look like? Or yeah, I've never heard of them before. Silver leaves. And um, so they look a little bit like, a, you know, big bushes of tinfoil, little pieces of tinfoil. And um, so I did design, because the setting of The Day She Died is um, kind of a fictionalized area along the Fraser River in Vancouver. Um, and uh, I, I made this field of quicksilver plants because they can get very tangled and very, you know, dense and just full of silver. And, and uh, I used that as, as an area where things happen to Eve in her childhood that aren't necessarily so good. Um, it's a place she has to go and hide once from bullies that are going to hurt her. And she has a discovery there that she would rather not have. Um, and uh, so, yeah, the quicksilver plants became very important. In fact, the very first title of the book, because this book has gone through a number of titles, was um, called In the Silver Garden. And uh, so the silver was so key. And um, my agent, I think, thought it sounded like some kind of geriatric gardening novel. So <laughs> she's like, I don't think this is going to work. And I, I understand. I think she has a lot of, you know, knowledge and she made good sense there. But um, the silver aspect of the story stuck with me. And I was really pleased that Dundurn um, took my thematic ideas and they really rolled with it with the book cover. And so it has, um, I know you, it's a podcast, nobody can see it, but you can see that there's actually the silver plants in, in the, in the book cover. Cool. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. All right. Well, I'm glad I asked that because you know, part of me was thinking, okay, Joe, so you noticed the quick silver plants, but I thought I, I found them so fascinating. You know, yeah, and they're a really key part of the story. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Because that's, I th like you said, I think there's a scene where she's hiding 
Mm-hmm. From and there's that chase scene where she's hiding, and then there's the bullies who are coming after. Oh, yeah. Okay. <laughs> absolutely, absolutely. And setting, I think, does especially in this book for me. It's really like another character. You know, the wet and the rain and the fog and the the river and the plants and everything's dripping. It's it's very much a, a character that is almost as important as any of the other characters in the story. Is this setting? Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Well, I have a favorite paragraph. If I could read that. Absolutely. Okay. Uh, what I, I think what I liked about it is, uh, uh, come on, buddy. What I liked was how you take what's happening, her, her mind, what's happening. And as soon as I read it, people will, will understand what I'm trying to say and how you compare it to, uh, I'm just going to read it. I'm not even going to try to explain it. Okay, (laughs) here we go. The bedrock on which she'd rebuilt her life shifted. A chunk of dirt broke loose and fell away, and then another. Small stones followed, and then larger ones, until giant chunks of her foundation joined the, the landslide. One fragment at a time, Bones and memories were exposed. <sighs> oh, that's special. Like that. And oh, I really, uh, that's, and like I said, I, I read that and I just thought, oh, look at those words. <laughs> oh, look at how she's put those words together. And that, and there was so much sympathy for Eve. You know, that's, that's a beautiful paragraph. Thank you. I remember how hard I worked on that. (laughs) I remember the struggle of that paragraph. (laughs) So I really enjoyed Eve's dialogue. Um, She has been in this horrific car accident. And she, let's just say she has no short-term memory. Right. And it was this dialogue when it's it's being discussed about Eve's boyfriend choice and Eve is defending this individual. And I, I'd like to read this little bit of dialogue. There's so many of these little gem, these gems. So, you know, um, she's being asked, so, so how can you know he's the right one for you? And she responds, because she paused, trying to think of how to explain it. I'm like that egg that fell off the wall. Humpty Dumpty. <laughs> I read that and I thought, yes, <laughs> right? Like the, the simple and easy and I'd say non-writing way of, of, of doing that would say, oh, I, I felt like Humpty Dumpty. No, no, I, you put it in dialogue. Yeah. And, and she's saying, I'm, I'm like that egg, you know? And I thought, brilliant. So- yeah. Is was that something that came to you easily in like the you're in the fevered moments of writing, or was that an actual part of a conversation that you thought, hmm, I'm remembering that one? Yeah, no, that one came to me. Um, I for whatever reason, dialogue I find I'm able to move more swiftly through than than um poetic description, like the last paragraph that you read. 
I was like, oh, I worked so hard on that. Um, but the Humpty Dumpty thing, that just kind of came to me in the moment. And that's exactly what she is. She's Humpty Dumpty. She fell, she broke. And and I think the next part of that goes something along the lines of he's the only person who knew her before she was broken and knows how to put the pieces back together. Yeah, yeah. But it was like my sisters, we were trying to have a conversation the other day. And my one sister, she said, what's that movie? You know, the one where the gingerbread man dies in the oven and there's the donkey. And my other sister goes, Shrek. You know, right? And, and it's 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 like that dialogue. It's it's believable. It's so believable. So lighting it up here on Facebook, you had shared a memory and um, it was when you signed your first publishing contract. And you mentioned about swanky rooftop parties in New York City. And Shoshana, I was wondering, we're in these COVID times. Yes, could, we are. Could, I, could we live vicariously through you? And could you tell us what one of those swanky New York parties on a rooftop were like? <laughs> well, to be fair, I only did one. Um, <laughs> but oh, it was amazing. I uh, I love New York. I actually went to school in New York um, way back in the day. And I hadn't been there in many, many years. And a few years ago, I um, decided to go to Thriller Fest. Um, thankfully, I did it then because, you know, now it's online instead of in person. And it was an incredible experience. Um, and one of the best parts of it was that Thomas and Mercer, the publishers of For the Faithful, had um, a rooftop party. And we literally were up on this roof and overlooking the city. You could look out and there's the Empire State Building. We watched the sun set over the city. It was just absolutely incredible. And it's just one of these memories that I'll cherish forever. I would like to go to New York City one day. Yeah, yeah. It's such a fantastic city. I certainly wouldn't want to be there during COVID. Mm -hmm. I can't imagine. Yeah, it, it'd just be scary. But oh, what an amazing city it really is. Yeah. Well, when you're in, you know, being an author and in writing, everyone knows it's New York and Toronto. Those were the, sure. those, that's the, those are the publishing capitals, right? Absolutely. Yeah. Oh, okay. Wow. Wow. That's so cool. Okay. So can you explain what it was like to be a part of Pitch Fest? Oh my goodness. It was, it was so scary. It, well, it was so scary, but it was so amazing. So it is part of Thriller Fest for those who don't know. Um, so Thriller Fest is run by international thriller writers once a year, usually in person until now um, in New York. And it's been at the Grand Hyatt Hotel in New York. So it was very fancy and lovely. And you get to rub elbows with all kinds of amazing authors. Um, and uh, so I signed up for everything because I thought I'm, you know, this might be a once in a lifetime opportunity. I don't know if I'll ever get to this again. So I signed up for Craft Fest, which I did a day's worth of uh, craft work with Steve Barry, mm -hmm. the author Steve Barry, which was incredible. And I signed up for Pitch Fest. And Pitch Fest is where you, it's like almost like speed dating, but with agents. Oh. And so I'd, I had my, um, the day she died was on many agents' desks 
at that point. And I'd had some requests for, you know, the full manuscript, but then you just kind of sit and you wait and you wait and you wait. Um, and uh, so I went to Pitch Fest and I, you get like a, a few minutes, if I remember correctly, maybe not even to kind of pitch yourself and your book and tell them who you are. And they're very warm and welcoming, um, but it's really, really frightening. And so I think I pitched to, if I remember correctly, five or six different agents. And before I, I went, I knew you had a list of who the agents are. So I'd done my research. These are the ones I need to pitch to. Um, and I did. And I got, I think if I pitched to six, I got five requests for um, full manuscripts, which was really lovely. Although, of course, I was wondering, well, how many of these are just being nice because <laughs> they're face to face with you as opposed to via email where they can be a little, you know, harsher. Yeah. Um, but I felt like I walked away from that thinking, you know, I think I've just met my agent and just not sure who it is. Okay. Um, and after Pitch Fest, I ended up with um, three offers of representation, Ooh. which was a really lovely problem to have. Um, so I had to, you know, do my research, do my due diligence, have lots of conversations with them. Um, and at the end of the day, then I basically decided I need to go with the person who, when I think of going with them, it doesn't make me scared. Yeah. And because um, there were three amazing agents and like all three of them are fantastic and have done great work for their clients. And I wouldn't I couldn't have gone wrong with any of them. So it was just a case of figuring out which one feels the best to me. And so that's that's how I got my agent. Cool. Yeah. Cool. Yeah. And I don't think I would have without Pitch Fest. I think I would have still been sitting on people's desks. <laughs> In fact, there was an agent who I'd um, sent a full manuscript to before Pitch Fest, and she didn't, she responded like 14 months later okay. and was like, can we have a conversation about this? And I was like, I've been with an agent for over a year. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, yeah. Well, that's so cool. So, Shoshana, is there anything you would like to add? Um, what's next? And where can listeners find you on the socials? Oh, yeah. So what's next? Well, I do have books in the works. And, and one of them uh, is sitting on the desks of editors at Dundurn and stuff right now. So hopefully something will happen there at some point. Um, and I'm working on the third and final installment on the faithful series and also on this one that I mentioned about Jewish mysticism. So I'm kind of going back and forth between those two. Um, in regards to socials, my website is smfriedman.com. And then you can find me on uh, Facebook and Instagram is the same. They're smfriedman author for both of those. And Twitter is at smfriedman. Okay. I will have these in the show notes. I'm just writing them down here. Okay. Okay. Well, thank you. Thank you for coming on my podcast. I love it. I was an event. <laughs> you are an event. Thank you so much for having me. It's been absolutely just such a pleasure. Oh, good, good, good. And I hope you stop by again and we could chat. For yeah. sure. I would love that. Good, good. Anytime. Good. So. Listeners, if you like my podcast um, and you enjoy these conversations, please subscribe or follow. I just updated my website. It's 
jcvartstudio.net. If you listen on Spotify or you listen on Apple or you listen on Breaker, it doesn't matter which platform you use. If you just go to the website, you can pick any any of those and you can listen directly from the website as well. Shoshana, thank you so much. This was such a pleasure. And that book is that book has stayed with me. You know, oh, good. thank you for coming by. Thank you for having me, Joanna. I really appreciate it. Okay. Well, have a good day. You too.